Greetings, my friends. You are listening to the Canned Air Podcast. Yes, at podcast providers near you and far away. After all, it is the internet. So just listen and join us next week for another Canned Air Podcast. I know the shadow will. <laughs> As will the brain. Yes. And welcome to another episode of Candare, your tribute to pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. I am Jack Doherty. And I am Randy Hardenbrook. And we've got another special episode for you guys this week. And I'm excited. Boy, I don't know how to contain my excitement. <laughs> no, <I'm not. laughs> it was so awesome to get to talk with this week's guest. He's done so many voices over the years, some of which you have probably heard and don't even know. But, I mean, he's been the voice of Yosemite Sam before, Pepe Le Pew in Space Jam. He was Toucan Sam mm-hmm. from Fruit Loops. Follow your nose, that voice. Uh, Dizzy Devil in Tiny Toons. Spectre Gadget, Chief Quimby. He's been Doctor Doom, Mr. Freeze, Doctor Strange. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> and he's also, uh, this is one I didn't know until I was just looking yesterday, in Captain Planet and the Planet Tears, he was both Verminius Scum and Duke Nukem. That blew my yeah. mind. Duke Nukem? Yeah. Was that a name in Captain Planet? It was. was it? It, okay. it, I had to step back, too, because I was like, <laughs> wait, well, hang wait, on a minute. Not that Duke Nukem. Not that Duke Nukem. But uh, yes, yes, Duke Nukem indeed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's probably best known for his portrayals as uh, Egon Spangler in the real Ghostbusters, the tons of characters he did in Futurama, Kiff Croker, Donbot, Clamps, Morbo, Hedonism bots. Uh, <laughs> Who else? Lure from Omicron Percy I8. Yeah. Just to name a few. There's been so many. Most famously known as The Brain from Pinky and the Brain. Mm-hmm. We get the uh, amazing opportunity to talk with Maurice LaMarche today. And we just had a great time talking with him. And it's just so incredible when these people say yes. Yeah, <laughs> you <it> know, <laughs> it, it, it never ceases to um, be surreal. And this was one request that when we sent out, I was like, we'll never get this guy. <laughs> I would love to have him on, but man, probably not. But, you know, you still got to try. And boy, sure. I'm glad we did because, again, beside myself after this conversation. Yeah. But before we let you guys hear it, don't forget to find us on Twitter at CandAirPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. If you like what we're doing, want to show some support, head over to CandairPodcast.com, hit that Patreon button. Uh, you can become a patron. At $5 level, you get access to the Candair Patreon pod, which has been getting better over the years, if oh, you yeah. ask me. I have a lot of fun doing it, and uh, I'm excited for this month's episode. And then past that, the $10 tier, we have uh, special projects like Candair Radio Theater. What else? There's Canned Classics. The Traumatic Episode. The Traumatic Episode. The Comic Vaults. All kinds of stuff. So, again, uh, head over to our website, candarepodcast.com. That Patreon button there to support us. There's also a merch page there. And if you want to support us but don't have money, then uh, just leave us a review on your podcast player of choice. It helps more than you know. Uh, Gentlemen, what am I forgetting? We are proud members of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Yes. Uh, Check us out and all the other great shows at evergreenpodcast.com. Yes, please do. There are a lot of great shows on there. And uh, you can check them out after you've checked us out. But I guess if you're hearing this, you already are checking us out, right? All right. Well, enough of all that. Let's just jump right into our conversation with Maurice LaMarche. (laughs) 
Maurice, I want to thank you so much for taking time to be on the show. It's truly an honor to have you here, man. Thank you. Well, it, it really is a pleasure. Thank you so very much, Jeremy, for having me on. Yes. So how's your day going so far? I hope the weather is uh, holding up better for you <laughs> over there than it is for us over here in Ohio. Well, it would almost, I would almost have to. I'm, I don't mean that in any kind of shy <laughs> way, but what I'm reading about what's going on all across uh, the country my, my goodness, you've just, you were cyclone bombed and now you're being bombed cycloned. I mean, what I, I it just never stops. Yeah. And it's yeah, all part of my latest plan to take over the world. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> I have invented a weather machine without Pinky's help, thank goodness. That's well, why that it's makes working. a lot of sense as to what's happening out <laughs> yeah, there. Exactly. We, we dodged yes. the bullet the first time, but uh, it looks like we're really going to get it. It's yeah. been raining all day, and here in about an hour or two, it's supposed to start snowing for the next uh, 24 hours. So, Oh, good. So snow with rain underneath it. Multiple inches of that snow, so it's going to yeah, be yeah. great. I, well, I, oh, my God, you guys, be careful. I mean, the, the, the slipping, the falling, and it's worse the older we get. So let's, so yes. let's <laughs> stay on our feet. I can't yeah. afford a fall right now. No, no, no. Can. no. Well, anyway, again, thank you for being here. And uh, I just want to start, I guess, right back at your childhood. What were you like as a child growing up in Ontario? Okay, so we're going for therapy now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I never felt truly loved, appreciated, but not loved. That's like my, by the way, my bugaboo. As 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 hot as as uh, as Ted Lasso is, and how much that's come into our culture, saying I appreciate you. Yeah. I hate I appreciate you. Never tell mm -hmm. me you appreciate me. Tell me you appreciate something I did for you. Tell me you like me. Tell me you love me. Tell me you love spending time with me. But I don't know. I don't believe in whole person appreciation. Right. That means Same you have to here. appreciate like, you know, you have to appreciate my first dump this morning because that's part of it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's you know, something to talk about. <laughs> I appreciate you as for people who just, you know, I don't know, don't seem to have anything stronger to say. It's it's to me. Yeah. Yeah wishy-washy but not that i appreciate that you appreciate me and you appreciate my body of work but i know you secretly love me each and every one of you guys don't oh, you? absolutely there's no doubt don't about secrets it. out yeah of course so um okay so yeah childhood was um was uh, was an interesting thing for me i i i uh, was uh, i was fine my mother would always say you were you were fine until we sent you to school <laughs> <laughs> i was a very uh, i was a very apparently a very open child very loving and then there was one incident in my early childhood where I was bitten on the face by a mentally challenged uh, boy who was much older. Uh, I think I was about two or three. I don't remember it. But my mother told me, you changed that day and you withdrew into yourself. And I know to this day, I, I can't stand the idea of being bitten, whether it's a love bite, anything like that. I get nauseous at being bitten. Is this going a little deeper than you guys wanted to? Too fucking bad. I, I, okay, so, I just never heard that yet. I, yeah. Wow. So, uh, you know, I will actually, I actually will be, begin to, to retch if I'm bitten. Uh, so it must have impacted me deeply. I don't know how it leads into a, how, a career in voiceover, but uh, I think, I think <laughs> you know, once I got to school, I immediately felt like I didn't fit. Like, like you know, my antics and all the TV I absorbed uh, as a child, you know, staying home prior to kindergarten age, I just began to perform that for my friends because I thought that's how you that's how you make friends, you make them laugh. So I would do Popeye and I would do uh, Newton from the Hercules cartoon, 
Do you guys remember the Hercules cartoon? I don't personally. Do you Hercules, guys? hero of song and story. Hercules. Oh, now that, well, sounds, that familiar. sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Of ancient glory. Iron in his thighs. What a nice surprise. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I stole that from Howie Mandel, just in case he's. <laughs> I doubt he's listening. Well, you never know. You never know. No, this um, is true. Uh, so, so I am. Uh, so I, I thought that was the way to make friends, and that was really a way to get sent to the school psychologist. So that's what happened. They wondered what was wrong with me, and I was really just trying to get people to like me. And I never quite got. <laughs> I I didn't get till till much later in life, in years of therapy, that people would might like me for me, and what I you know what I have to say and what I think and what I feel and how you know i might be of support and and them of support to me that didn't come till years later i just thought it was all about performing so i would you know do goofy goofy voices and goofy shit all through school until i got to high school where i finally made it work for me you know because the first variety night i stepped i stepped out on stage in the uh in the uh, 10th grade and uh did uh did a little three-minute stand-up act it was uh, like a fake Ed Sullivan show that my friend Steve Barton wrote for me. Steve Barton and Harry Van Bommel. And it was like I just played all the parts in an Ed Sullivan show segment and got a standing ovation. Awesome. And, uh, you know, I mean, I can't remember the material. It could have been, you know, very funny material. We may have employed some old jokes, but I just went out and did it. And, man, if I didn't finally feel like I, I had a place in the world, I felt like the puzzle piece that we popped it in. That's what I'm supposed to do. Supposed to perform, supposed to be on a stage, and that's what you know? made your uh, stand-up career take off. Then, right? Was that yeah. moment? That's it, what. Well, no, it was the beginning of it. But I mean, I, I, you know, other than that, childhood was fairly miserable. I was a poor student. Just to finish up, there, I was a very poor student because I was not focused on the work. I was only focused on my next opportunity to get a laugh. It seemed to be my raison d'être, uh, if I may employ my fake French Canadian accent, because I actually don't speak <laughs> a word of French, but. It was spoken around me all the time, so I know how to say things like raison d'être and sound very authentic. Um, is to just is to just make people laugh. So yeah, I wasn't a great student. Didn't have a big attention span. Probably wouldn't wouldn't diagnose ADD. Uh, not AD, not ADHD. I was, the H was always missing. I was never a terribly active child, but uh, certainly you know just always off looking off to the stars was this one. And that's what I was always looking out the window, wondering what was going on out there. Sure. And um, yeah, all of that. Not a, not uncommon for performers. But that that first time on stage, uh, that that let me know that that's what I wanted to do. And then the question became, how? You know. And we didn't have a comedy club in Toronto yet, so I went down to to I went down to the Sacred Store. It just started playing in my ears. Uh, I, I went down to uh, the Improv in New York. I had a cousin who lived in Manhattan, and the plan was that if I could get made regular at, at, at the improv, I could stay with her and her husband for a couple of months until I started scraping together enough money for my own little you know, place. And uh, in that line, and this is really up for me because of what's, what's happened lately in the world of comedy, uh, in that line on September 4th, 1977, the guy in front of me was Bob Saget and his wow. wife, his then girlfriend, soon to be wife, Sherry. And uh, Saget and I struck up a friendship. I mean, they made you they made you stand there from like one o'clock till five o'clock when they gave you your number of either the order at which you, you 
go on stage and then you go off and get some food and come back at seven for open mic night. You know, and, and that was the beginning of a very long friendship. Bob was one of the first people. He was the second person to greet me in Los Angeles. Howie Mandel picked me up at the airport and uh, dropped me at my hotel. And Bob immediately came to my hotel and took me for the very first sushi I ever had in my life. This nice. was in June of 1980. No, March of 1980. It was the exploratory mission. And uh, that's the one where I went to look for the apartment. Bypassed New York completely. Uh, Bob and I both had decent sets, but not like brilliant sets. And so we just, he gave me, he and Sherry gave me a ride back to my hotel. And, you know, we were like, we're going to keep at it. Right, man. Yeah. Right. Okay. Let's, and every time Bob and I saw each other from that day till the last time I saw him, which was just before the lockdown, we wouldn't say, Hey Bob or Hey Maurice, we'd just go first night in comedy, first night in comedy, first night in comedy. That was our name, first night in comedy. So uh, you know, I, I you know, I I, I uh, just Bob has been incredibly uh, uh, supportive of me, and um, I mean, it's, it's very up for me how much I, I um, it's hitting me that I'll never see him again. You know, even though uh, our paths diverged, you know, he became host of America's Funniest Home Videos and, and the full and Full House. So his world was TV on camera. I was I diverged from stand up into voiceover. And, uh, you know, that occurs in a completely different universe and space. So uh, we'd, we'd only bump into each other at restaurants and stuff like that. So but it was always warm. It was always great. Good guy. I'm so sorry for your loss. How horrible. Thanks, man. Thank you. It's his family. My heart really goes out to you. Know, sure. You know, yeah. If I think I've lost it, like you know, uh, it's got to be so hard on them. I can't imagine. Yeah. I can't. But thank you, Jeremy. Thank you. So, you know, touching on again on your stand up here, you know, where where then did you touring with Rodney Dangerfield? How did that come to be? How did that even happen for you? Because, man, what an experience. Well, that, yeah, that came to be because Jim Carrey uh, uh, fell out. He couldn't uh, he couldn't make it. It was a San Francisco gig, oddly enough, uh, uh, the day before uh, Valentine's Day in 1981. And Rodney had met Jim, I think, either earlier that year or even late in 1980, and they became very fast friends, and Rodney immediately put Jim on the road with him. But I can't remember whether Jim just couldn't get into the country because he was still based out of Toronto, but he was not available for that date. So uh, we had the same manager at that time, uh, a guy named David Holliff, and so he he offered me up to, as, as a backup for Jim, and I just had to get my ass to San Francisco in, you know, in two hours. Which I did, you know. I'm lucky to find a flight, and we. I played. Uh, I played this uh, theater in the round just outside of San Francisco with Rodney, and he. 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 You know, he really dug it. He had one thing. He said, "Man, just do me a favor. I know you're an impressionist, man. All right, don't do me. Okay, when you go out there, don't do me because they're already waiting for me. If you do me, it takes some of the shine off me. You know." All right, you're a good kid. All right, I want to watch your act, okay, Maurice? And so I went. I and I did two shows with him. I did a seven o'clock and a ten o'clock show with him at that at that venue, and uh, he remembered me. So uh, when Jim's career started getting busy, he was doing uh, a, a sitcom called um, Duck Factory. I slid into that spot and began touring with Rodney, and uh, and that was just an education, you know, an education in craft and timing, uh, Rodney rarely deviated from his act. And yet every night you went out there, you would swear he was making it up off the top of his head. Wow. That's how brilliant he was. That it was just, these were just funny thoughts occurring to him. Miserable 
but funny thought. It's miserable <laughs> yeah. to him, funny to us. And you know, it was it was uh, it was really uh, really great. And he was very. Rodney had a had a penchant for. I mean, he just I think he just it was, you know he said, "Man, when I started, it was shit shit clubs, you know, real shit clubs." He had a joke. He said, "I the kind of clubs I started out in it was like Luigi's dancing in Scungeal, okay, and." You know, it was like uh, he said, I, you know, I don't, I don't want that for any of my guys who open for me. So I remember one night I went out. Uh, we went to it was Latham, New York, and my name wasn't on the billboard. And the billboard was like on this Jetsons like, you know, spike that went up almost beyond the clouds. And then there was the billboard because you had to see it from the highway. Right. And he went ballistic that my name was not on the billboard. So I kept going, oh, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. I'm from Canada. It's all right. Just, you know, stencil welcome on my forehead or, you know, you just walk all over, you know, to, to, to the theater owners. Right. And he said, no, man, it's not okay. And uh, he he ended up refusing to go on until my name was added to the marquee. Wow. Wow. And, and his road manager, Fitz, came and got me. He said, take a look at this. And we went out the side door and opened up that you know, metal door and looked out and there was a guy sure enough, way the hell up there on a cherry picker risking his life. M a <laughs> you and my name went up on the billboard. So, that is awesome. Did your job's hard enough, man. If without them not knowing you're there. Okay. They got to know they're going to see an opening act. All right, man, you're okay. All right. He wow. always ended every conversation with that. Like, okay, you're all right. You're a good kid, okay? <laughs> That's classy, <laughs> though. Yeah, a little though. bit of approval, you know? He was very good to young comedians. I mean, it's, it was so fortuitously hosted the ninth annual Young Comedian special. And HBO loved what he did so much. They gave him two more specials that were just the Rodney Dangerfield specials. And he, you know, he brought on Seinfeld and Jim and, uh, you know, Andrew Dice Clay in those second specials, gave Sam a second shot. So that, the, the, my association with Roddy Danger's Dangerfield is one of the one of the most uh, gratifying and rewarding things that have happened to me in my career, and uh, I'll, I'll owe him forever. That is absolutely incredible. What a cool guy, man! Yeah, that is so yeah. awesome to hear. And I encourage everybody at home to check out your stand-up on YouTube because I've been watching it in the past couple of days here, getting ready, and damn, is it just, it's so good. Uh, your, um, one, your Nixon impression is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> oh, Carson, fine. Johnny Carson, when, as back. a young he boy. must have gone back this evening at the improvs then. Or something I did. Like <laughs> yes, I did. Goodness <laughs> gracious. And they see that, that skinny young man bears no resemblance to the Fred Flintstone that sits in front of you today. You know? <laughs> well, my Where's my Brontosaurus burger? <laughs> wow, you're making big. the hair on my arm stand big. up. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, your first major VO job was Egon Spangler, and I've heard you say that when you guys were all brought in to audition, that you were all told no impressions of the guys from the movie. No impressions of the guys and from the movies. We don't want to see that. If we wanted to make that, we would try and get Bill and Danny and Harold and Ernie in here. Now, strangely enough, Ernie was auditioning to play Winston Zeddemore. Uh, and so was, so was Arsenio Hall. And Arsenio looked at me, I mean, we knew each other from the comedy store, and Arsenio looked over at me and mouthed the words, what the fuck am I doing here? And I just shrugged, because I was the only other stand-up in the room. So, you know, it's like we had that connection, and I just went, I don't know, man. <laughs> so Arsenio booked it. 
And I don't know whether it was just that he came across in in uh, in animation, you know, in 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 voiceover, a little hotter, a little a little more. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't want to disparage Ernie in any way, shape, or form. Or it may have been, and and I prefer to think this that Ernie booked himself a, a film or something or a TV show, and decided he wouldn't have the time to do both because they were booking us straight up for 105 episodes. Wow. 65, 65 uh, uh, syndicated episodes and 30 network episodes. So wow. sorry, that's 95. My addition is, is I, well, I'm in, in Canadian, so I'm exchanging, you know, I'm making it. Right. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so, but, but they said right out, don't do the guys in the movies. And so Lorenzo Music ended up with, because he had his own, you know, his own vibe that, if you ever saw a Garfield special, oh yeah, mm-hmm. or or an old episode of uh, Roto where he played Carlton, your doorman, he just had his own persona, and he just brought that to his Venkman, and uh, and then um, Frank Welker just did the closest thing to Frank Welker's natural speaking voice I've ever heard him do, even more than Freddie. So he was just him, and I got in the booth, looked at that, and and I'm, I'm lucky that I didn't see that he was blonde. I just thought they hadn't filled in his hair. So I thought they'd drawn a pretty good rendition of Harold Ramis. Right. And I just went, I have no other ideas than to do an impression. So <laughs> I'll just, I know I'll just screw the pooch in here, but I'll read this as Harold because the only other thing he came to was this Poindexter voice, which I did as my take too. And they went, yeah, no, that's not it. <laughs> so I did my Harold and, you know, and then off I went and I knew I hadn't gotten it. And Arsenio knew he hadn't gotten it. And then we both got calls that we were, you know, the new real Ghostbusters and get ready for wow. you know, a couple of years worth of work, which is a really nice thing to get go from Jump Street. Uh, my actual first, uh, though my first big job was was um, uh, Inspector Gadget with the same production company, uh, Deke Entertainment. I played the chief uh, in the second oh, season. Oh yeah, Quimby. Because they had done the first 65 up in Toronto, my hometown, but I was living here. And so I think Chris Wiggins played Quimby in the first 65. And then they brought it down. They brought it down to the States because Don Adams was done doing the job he was doing up there. He was doing a uh, sitcom in Toronto. And so uh, he wanted to move home. And so they recast it with, you know, after SAG people. So I was very, very lucky to be in on that. That was really where I uh, cut my teeth. Because, boy, working with somebody like Don Adams, who was, you know, from my childhood, and, and even in my adulthood, I still think Get Smart's one of the funniest sitcoms ever created. <laughs> because it, it was played like drama with this idiot in the middle of it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a couple of idiots, but it was like the plots were very serious and the danger was real. So, But here was Maxwell Small, Agent 86, and his shoe phone. In fact, Don Adams told me once that uh, I said, I said, what was Ed Platt like? Because I just thought he was so great because he played the whole series as though he had a migraine headache. He said, you know, Ed Platt was the glue of Get Smart because he decided that he was going to play it like drama. Like he was in a serious show about the Secret Service, but once a week he had to deal with this moron named Maxwell Smart. And, and I said, that's brilliant. That's absolutely genius. He said, because he said, yes, because any other actor would have been like the boss, the guys who play the boss on Bewitched every week, you know, would do something way too big. Max, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And he said, and Ed would play it like, Max, what are you doing? 
you know, and it was yeah. that. So I, I took that. And then in fact, I, I always play the brain with drama. I play everything with drama. I play everything I do straight. I never play the joke. I play the pain of the character. And if I have, <laughs> you know, if I have maybe any kind of unique note, it's that I do curmudgeons really well because they're always exhausted with the nods <laughs> around them. So. Well, you did it very well. Well, thank you. Um, Jumping back to Egon really quick, and this is going to be a little off the wall, but I have to ask because, boy, this is a prominent memory from when I was a child. When Ghostbusters 2 was coming out, they did a promotional contest for the film where in your cereal box of Ghostbusters cereal, you could get a small vinyl record, Hmm. put it on the record player and drop the needle and Egon would come on. And tell you, you know, read you a few questions about a contest. And, you know, you could reply on your three by five note card to see if you actually get a chance to meet the real Egon Spangler. Well, what's interesting about it to me was that, um, you know, Rob Paulson was the narrator on this vinyl as well. It was, could this, is this the first time you guys, we were yet to meet. We didn't, we did not meet, but I guess that's the first time our voices ever blended was on that little, on that little uh, record. Yeah. Rob and I would meet in 19, I think 1989 on, um, first we did an episode of um, the new adventures of Johnny quest together where he played Haji. And then, uh, and I, even right there, I knew I'd, I'd met somebody special. Sure. A guy who we, we discovered that we both knew the, all the words to most Monty Python sketches. <laughs> and so we, and then we ended up on attack of the killer tomatoes. And so we did, uh, I think, two seasons of that with, and we became good friends with John Aston, who we, we discovered first of all, just a childhood hero, guy we watched on TV, and he's the nicest guy, the sweetest guy. And we, uh, John and I, discovered we have the same natal birthday, natal birthday. Why did I say it like that? Um, <laughs> we have the same, we have the same birth date, obviously in different years. So from that, from that job to this john and i have one of us is called the other on march 30th to wish the other a happy uh, a happy birthday That's awesome. so, yeah yeah he's a great guy he's still wow so facile and he's teaching um he's he is the drama department at uh, johns hopkins university which was his alma mater wow yeah don't you have that vinyl still no, I wish I still did. <laughs> so I remember God. you played it on the show a while ago. I Yeah, about three or four years ago. I, I just found it on YouTube, and I'll actually wow. uh, clip it in here from YouTube for the listeners to hear. But oh, I'd love to hear I'd love to hear it, too. I'll, I'll, hear it on, I'll hear it when this goes out. Welcome to the new Ghostbusters movie mystery. In just a moment, you'll get a chance to meet Egon Spengler, the brave, courageous hero from the Ghostbusters movies. Now, kids, answer the three questions that Egon will ask you later on this record, and you could be eligible to win one of the two grand prizes in the new Ghostbusters movie mystery sweepstakes. And right now, I take great pride in introducing Egon Spengler. Hello, Ghostbusters fans. Have you been looking out for ghosts lately? Great. Now you have a chance to be an honorary member of the Ghostbusters team. You can win a trip to Hollywood for you and your family and meet me, Dr. Egon Spengler. How lucky can you get? (laughs) Well, it could be worse. You could be meeting Slimer. Now here's a tip. Clues to the mystery questions are contained in the new Ghostbusters movie. If you haven't seen it yet, make plans to go right away. It's great. 
You've never seen ghosts like the ones in this movie. Everyone thinks the Ghostbusters are beaten, but you know better, don't you? We're back, and we're better than ever, especially me, the brilliant Dr. Egon Spengler, with twice the know-how and twice the particle power. <laughs> now remember, everyone, if there's something wrong in your neighborhood, who are you gonna call? Now, Egon will ask you some fun questions about the new Ghostbusters movie. Question number one. In what city does the new Ghostbusters movie take place? Number two. What lurks beneath the city and is the Ghostbusters' biggest bust? And question number three. What must people do to ward off this evil? Okay, is everybody ready to enter the sweepstakes? Mail a 3x5 card with your answers, your name, age, and address, including zip code, and your telephone number to the new Ghostbusters Movie Mystery Sweepstakes, P.O. Box 4029, Beverly Hills, California, 90213-4029. The more you enter, the more chances you have to win. Only one entry per envelope, please. See details and official rules on specially marked boxes of new Ghostbusters, Cookie Crisp, and Dinosaurs brand cereals. There are two versions of the record, so collect them both. See you at the movies, kids. We're going to take a break from our conversation right here to jump to commercial, but stick around when we come back more with Maurice LaMarche. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. So how much of your background from your stand-up do you pull into your voiceover acting? Well, it's all grist for the mill, you know, including all the acting classes I was in. You know, I sure. was in acting class like every other, every other actor in New York. I was just very lucky. I, I had I didn't have any actor acting teachers who messed with me. You know, some acting coaches like to really fuck with your head, you know, sure. and, and break you down to build you back up. Yeah. I don't know how that works. <laughs> the, only thing I, the only thing that's ever worked for me is building building my confidence. The more confidence I have, the better I am, you know? Right. So um, so I had a wonderful teacher named Joan Darling, and her big thing was just let yourself laugh in the scene, even if it's drama. If you feel a laugh coming, do it because let it out because, you know, laughter brings you back to the present. You know, I mean, that goes in there and and, and all the stand-up, everything. I've never taken a voiceover workshop. I just, I just, wow. you know, I'd open the, the tiny bit of radio that I did in, in, in Canada, which was uh, a college radio station, and yet I wasn't a member of the college. My friend was, so <laughs> just had me on the show. You know, every every Sunday we go down and make like radio comedy. You know, we, this is just all stuff. We did some wild stuff. That was the first. Uh, in fact, I was doing the show at that station. There was this standee of C three PO and R two D two, and 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 it and the words Star Wars. And I said, "What's this?" And he was like. I don't know. They sent it to us. You know, apparently it's coming out this summer. I mean, some science fiction movie. And I was like, well, I can't imagine it'll be any better than 2001: A Space Odyssey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a real science fiction movie. What's? I don't understand robots. This one looks like a garbage can. And I was like, <laughs> you know, and it was like a good 
like six months away from dropping, you know, they didn't use the word dropping in those days, but premiering. And uh, so, yeah, so all of that just comes to bear. Just, I just use everything. Certainly stand-up. Stand-up taught me things about timing, about how to work an audience, about how to hold for a laugh. And even if you're recording in a booth and you can't hear the laughs, I do keep my eye on the engineer and the voice director and the, maybe the producer and the writer there in the back. And I just try to crack them up, even if I only just see it. Yeah, technically, you know, they're audience. They are. You know, yeah. anybody within the sound of my voice is my audience. Mm-hmm. So that's you know, I still play to an audience. But yeah, that's uh, so that's that's really about it. All the voices I did, of course, came to bear in terms of getting cast. In fact, the first agent who did voiceover who came to see me was a woman named Nina Nissenholz who had just started the voiceover department at William Morris. And she came down because I was with William Morris for personal appearances, you know, as a stand-up. And I probably did 40 voices in a five-minute set. And she said, with your facility for changing back and forth like that, you could create voices just by blending two voices into a unique voice. And I think you'd be a natural for voiceover. So she sent me out for a year before I booked a job. And, you know, what was missing, I think, from the... From from uh, at the beginning was that I was good at the voices and not quite as good at the acting. So you know, as I now say to anybody who asks me for advice, just remember, voice acting is small v, big A. Rob says the same thing. It's almost like our pattern, but it's true. It's 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 much more important to be a good actor in voiceover than it is right. to be a good voice man or woman <laughs> or person, a good voice person. <laughs> We've got to touch on uh, everything you've done and uh, all of Matt Groening's shows. I mean, you voiced The Simpsons, voices in The Simpsons, Disenchantment, but of course, Futurama with the long list of characters you did. Is Could we do a roll call of a few of these characters? Would that be possible? Roll calls do not work that way. Good night. <laughs> Hi, my name is Lur, ruler of the planet Omicron Percy I-8, and I had nothing to do with this. This variant, can I quarantine on your couch? Do you hear the difference between those two voices? Yes, mm-hmm. They are absolutely. quite different. Even though I use the same vocal tension, their attitudes are completely different. So uh, let's see, who else? Oh, oh Lieutenant Kiff Croker, of course. Gentlemen, please, please, Jeremy, Randy, Jack, hide me. Captain Brannigan wants me to manscape him before our next mission. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, gentlemen, this is a very special day for you because you've got me, Calculon, on your show. (laughs) And so, who's that singing your new theme song? It's Calculon, Calculon, Calculon. There, there's some free acting for you. Nice. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Oh, my. Can you just tell us a little bit about your time on Futurama? Because, my God. Oh, dear boy, I apologize for nothing. Uh, the time on Futurama was phenomenal. And um, we've got, you know, we've, we've gotten canceled and resurrected and canceled and resurrected again. And, you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised if somehow or another we get another shot at it before Billy West turns 80. But, um, <laughs> you know, there's because, there, you know, it just would just it would just I mean, it just fits. So but I mean, it's truly when you're working with certified geniuses starting with Matt Groening, who, uh, whom I right. believe is a genius, 
a true genius uh, who sees life through a slightly different prism, one that we can still, you know, see through if he if he if he allows us to peek through it through his work. But it is it's that's the privilege. And then the, and then everybody who writes for the show, Harvard, you know, Harvard Lampoon veterans, people with science degrees who decided I'll be a scientist. I want to write comedy. You know, <laughs> uh, I mean, Bill Odenkirk, Bob's brother, got his Ph.D. in chemistry wow. and called Bill, uh, called Bob the next day and said, I don't want to do this. Can you, like, help me get some meetings in Hollywood? And, you know, and he brought him on board to write his show. And and then he ended up on Simpsons and then Futurama. And and uh, now he said now he's writing on our new season of Disenchantment. You know, I mean, just we, you know, David X. Cohen, math whiz, math genius, Al Jean, uh, you know, from yes. from uh, The Simpsons. I mean, uh, again, another math genius. That, uh, that uh, I mean, they're just they all bond over their math and their physics. And, you know, <laughs> it's so funny to watch them talk about theorems, you know, and then there's the other half of the writer's room that really knows jokes. Guys like Mike Rowe, who just is a comedy guy, he just knows joke construction. And is brilliant at that. So, I mean, to get to work with people who, you know, I revere for their comedic minds. I mean, they're, they're, they're just, listen, I respect anybody who can sit down at a, at a computer and pound out a script because I've yet been able to do it. I've taken a shot once or twice, but that that's hard work. Writing is hard. Right. Um, but when you, and so anybody whose script I've ever performed, hats off to you. But these guys are just kind of like in, in a class by themselves. So I've gotten to write with this level of work and perform the work of the, this level of TV writers on The Simpsons, on, on Futurama, Disenchantment, The Critic, which to me is the yes. underrated show of mm. all time. You know, that now there's a show that I wish we could do again. You know, that was a even, good show. Yeah. It, was, it was so good that John Lovitz is so, so genius as that, as that guy. We loved him, even though he was he was a little obnoxious. You couldn't help but get with Jay Sherman and and yeah. and be on his side, and that's all due to John and Mike and Al creating such a great character and Jim Brooks, you know, shepherding the whole thing and being being at the head of that, you know. Um, so I've gotten to work on some really intelligently written stuff, and I count Pinky in the Brain, and and oh, uh, and 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 Captain Simeon and the Space Monkeys, another unsung show. That was written by my dear departed friend Gordon Bressack. Good science fiction. We had we had Star Trek writers. DC Fontana contributed a couple of scripts. You know, and and so that was really a well written show. I mean, I've been on stuff that was serviceable, and I've been on stuff that's really well written, and that's that's the gratifying part for me is is getting a great script. It's not doing the voices and pulling a bunch of voices out of my uh, out of my you know little bag of tricks. It's God, this joke is clever. Right. Oh man, that's amazing. What a well-oiled uh, machine. <laughs> so many yes. pistons firing. Before we touch on Pinky and the Brain really quick, there's a talent that you possess amongst all the talent you have that is just, I've never seen anything like it. And you probably already know what I'm going to bring up. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. He's prepping for it while you're before you got close to it. I'm that predictable. Where does that come from? Where do you summon that from? I I first I first cobbled together that sound. I won't say created because it's just you know 
anybody could do it. Um, when I was in fifth grade, I bought my first plastic vomit. And I knew it needed a sound to go with it if I was really going to pull off the gag in the middle of school. <laughs> and so in the middle of class, I folded it up as tightly as I could. And I put it in my mouth. And I started doing that. And then I thought, what are you going to do? you got to make a good sound. So I thought, I'll just, okay, I'm going to turn my tongue inside out and then rasp my voice inside. So it's really, what it is, it's like Tuvan throat singing. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. the Tuvan okay. monks who can get their voices down there. Right. Uh, 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 yeah. So I make echo chamber. I guess, you know what? There's a segment of the population that can do, you know, that thing with their tongue. And then there's people that just they stick it out. And it's just flat. But I'm in that that segment that can do that. And that. Yeah. So I just do that. Uh, uh-huh, and then I go. <coughs> wow. Jeez. It hurts. <laughs> So since you guys aren't paying me, that's all you're going to get from okay. me. <laughs> that's <Yeah. okay. laughs> they paid me well over scale in Elf to do the buddy 15-second long burp. But, wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. Let's jump over to the brain. And I've heard you say uh, everywhere I've looked, and it's obvious that you know Orson Welles was largely the inspiration for the voice of the brain. Um, right. But, you know, uh, kind of like you were saying earlier when bringing a character to life, you know, you, you're mixing a little bit of this person and that person. Is there anything else that goes into the brain, like a pinch of this, a pinch of that, or is it uh, just your take on Orson Welles solely? Well, brain started out as, as a pure Orson Welles because when I auditioned for it, that's what the model sheet looked like. And it still does in the classic three-quarters pose. Uh, I only saw Orson Welles' face there. So I thought, oh, they've drawn me this character. Because they've heard me forever doing the frozen peas outtakes that were from a, a, the Findus, uh, Findus Frozen Foods is a company still in Britain. And uh, so there's a famous outtake of Orson really kind of doing a slow burn down to complete meltdown where he literally walks out of the thing going, it isn't worth it. No money is worth this. So I thought, well, here they are. You know, I've, I could do the whole thing for five minutes. It's a five minute long thing. And some people have a you know great Shakespeare, you know, so like we prepared my my prepped pieces. We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. We aren't even in the fields, you see. No, we're not. We're talking about them growing, and she's picked them. I don't understand you, then. What must be over for July? When we get out of that snowy field. But I was out. We were on to a can of peas, a big dish of peas, when I say July. You are? Yes, always. I'm always past that. That's about what I say, July. Could you emphasize a bit in, in July? Why, that doesn't make any sense. Sorry. There's no known way of saying an English sentence in which you begin a sentence within and emphasize it. Get me a jury and show me how you can say in July and I'll go down on you. So anyway, that's what that... <laughs> that's my little lunch. So um, that's where brain came from. Um, that's what I learned. I didn't memorize the cuckoo clocks bit, the cuckoo clock, uh, monologue from, uh, from, uh, the third man. No, no, I, I, I've got that in my quiver. So anyway, I saw that I get, I did Wells. They liked it. And then about episode three, Andre Romano said, it's too flat. There's no, it's all low. There's no high for it to go to. You got to figure out a way to put some highs in there. He's not going to be interesting to listen to. So I thought Vincent Price. 
So I, I figured in just a little Vincent mm, Price. There it <laughs> is. Without that, without without the little, <laughs> which I do use for oddball <laughs> and disenchantment. Uh, oddball is a pure Vincent Price impression. Uh, with just a bit of kiffs put upon this and uh, sighing, you know, etc. Uh, but but so I just mixed in a, as as Niles Crane would say, a soupçon of Vincent Price <laughs> <laughs> for the high end of Brain, and that 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 became Brain. But he's still like I would say seventy percent Orson Welles. Sure. People yeah. hear people hear Peter Lorre in there, and I don't hear it at all, and I'm not aware of doing it. First of all, Peter Lorre is an accented voice, and I don't I don't do Brain with anything but a you know a, a sort of mid Atlantic Wisconsin accent. If right. you could put Wisconsin in the middle of the Atlantic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know that I want to do that. Well, maybe I don't. Know. <laughs> so, so that's that's where Brain comes from. And with Animaniacs returning to Hulu, you know the show, it still is the exact same show. It still caters to that children audience, but it also grew with its original fan base. There's a, there's a lot more uh, adult thing. There's things in there kids are going to miss, like a lot of <laughs> Trump jokes and stuff. Uh, just you know, as an example, did you yeah. notice any big difference in your performance as Brain coming back this time around, or is it just uh, the same experience all the way around? No, I noticed the Brain is a little. Well, first of all, we've all aged twenty years, mm -hmm. so I know in my case, my voice is lower, and um, which lent itself to being Orson Welles, but also. We, you know, in the in the reality of the show, we don't deny that the characters have been around for 20, 20 years. The, you know, Animaniacs, the, the Yakko, Wacko, and Dot acknowledge that they've been up in that water tower for 22 years. Yeah. Pinky and the Brain have been trying to take over the world. Well, one, there was one plan that launched the, the new, the new, the new uh, iteration where Brain invents the Internet. And it's just he doesn't do, have any overt plans. But when that plan fails... You know, he's pissed off. It's been 22 years. He still hasn't taken over the world. So the whole show is a little edgier, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's even more for the adults who can watch with the kids than than our original series. Yeah. Um, so I'm finding it, uh, it, it's not as jokey a show. There aren't as many actual joke jokes in it, but uh, that's, that, that's, that suits this time. You know, absolutely. We are, we are, uh, I think, you know, if you look at most comedy on the air now, it is not driven by jokes. It's driven by character. It's driven by situations. You know, The Office, uh, Veep, uh, Modern Family. These are all shows that, you know, nobody's writing clever Neil Simon-esque Bon Mots in it. It's just, you know, just like, what, what are these kooky characters doing? You know? Right. So, um, when I say kooky in that kind of 1950s Sammy Davis way, almost as a counterpoint <laughs> to what they're doing. You know, it's all about holding on, holding on a character and jiggling the camera a little bit while they look like an idiot for what they've just said. So, um, you know, so our show, I think, matches that. Edgier, yeah. it's a little, it's definitely, it fits in with the times. It's, it's uh, a little closer to Rick and Morty than the original uh, show. Yeah, uh, yeah, well put. And yet everybody can go back to the original show and enjoy that too. I still, I still would not, I would, you know, I would say that, you know, Bubba Bo Bob Brain is one of the funniest things we've done, whether it's you watch it in, you know, 1993 or whether you watch it in 2022, it's still a hilarious episode, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, a legendary tale, you know, with Brain writing this piece of mythology about uh, Peach, Peach Pit, 
He's uh, Johnny Brain, Peach Pit, Bill Boone Crockett. He has a computer, <laughs> you know, create create uh, the ultimate American, you know, myth. And, uh, you know, it, I think that's a, dro- a drop-dead funny episode, you know. Oh, so, yeah, but I mean, the one where Brain creates a son, a robot son, and gets to sing a song called Bonding, you know, it was kind of heartbreaking. And it was also, but there was a danger to the episode, you know. There's a lot more uh, threat of death right. that, uh, you know, which I guess, hey, guess what we've been over the last two years? Under the threat of death. Yeah. So it works. <laughs> Damn it. Well, incredible. And thank you so much for taking this time. Um, before we let you go, though, uh, Kema, I believe, sent you over a PDF of uh, some movie lines. Oh, let me look. Let me look. She probably did. Okay. And yet, let me take a peek. And while you're looking, I'll just explain to the listeners, we've done this in the past with Rob Paulson and Larry Kenny, where we'll send some uh, famous movie lines over uh, to Maurice here, and he'll read them in uh, the voices of some of his uh, characters, if you got it. <laughs> yes, here it is. Here it is. All right, yes. Wonderful. Okay. And the first one uh, being uh, Cole Sears, which is Haley Joel Osment's character, from the Sixth Sense, as read by Egon Spangler, if uh, if that's something you wouldn't mind doing, Maurice. I want to tell you my secret now. I see dead people walking around like regular people and not like Slimer. They don't see each other. They only see what they want to see. They don't know they're dead. But I see them all the time. They're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that was awesome. And okay, so the next one is uh, Yoda from The Empire Strikes Back as read by Morbo the newscaster. Judge me by my size, do you? And well, you should not. For my ally is the Force and windmills, which do not work the way you think they do. And a powerful ally it is. Life creates it, makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you. Here, between you, me, the tree, the rock. Linda? Everywhere. (laughs) Yes, even between the land and the ship. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Wow, I think Luke would have got his shit together a lot (laughs) quicker had that been the speech. Wow. Okay, and then the last one, uh, Brian Mills' speech, which is Liam Neeson's character in Taken, as read by the brain. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have any money. But I will soon have some after I build an infundibulator, which will cause all human beings to be magnetized to the earth and then stuck in place until they give me what I want. Yes, money enough to build another infundibulator. Sorry, let me go back and start again. You're looking for ransom, I can tell you. I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills that I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you and for mice like Pinky. If you let my pinky go now, that will be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. 
I will find you and I will kill you. And then take over the world. Oh, oh thank you for that. Oh my oh. god, thank you so freaking much. That was hilarious. Oh, was and love the ad libs on that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Maurice, thank you so much for taking my time pleasure, to be here with us tonight. This has been oh. beyond a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Yes. Bye bye. Stay safe. Well, no, we'll do our best. You too. Put your cleats on before you go out tomorrow. Snowshoes. <laughs> yes. I got the dog sled ready. <laughs> Yay. All right. All right. Bust up that ice, for Christ's sake. <laughs> All right. See you later, guys. Thanks See you so much. Night. Thank Stay you. Well. Bye-bye. All right, everyone. And there it was, our conversation with Maurice LaMarche. My God, I want to thank him so much one for humoring us and reading Absolutely. those lines because that never gets old especially never when they ad lib like yeah, he did yeah. you know makes it their own makes it their own exactly so big thanks to him and ladies and gentlemen be sure to go check out Maurice LaMarche on Twitter at Maurice LaMarche and on Instagram at Maurice underscore LaMarche and look at some of his uh stand up on YouTube because it is really funny and his impressions are stellar again <laughs> his Johnny Carson as a child <laughs> holy hell you guys have got to see it yeah, I'll check that out it is so fucking good so good but again big thanks to him for being on the show and Jack what do we have on the website go to candairpodcast.com where you can read about the show listen to the show see us on our show from our YouTube channel merch and our patreon page and there it is reach out and contact us sure can and you can find us on twitter at candairpod and on instagram at canned underscore air and again on that website there's a few different ways you can support us uh one our merch tab and second our patreon link where for five or ten dollars a month gets you access to material that the normies aren't getting people the candair patreon pod the comic vault the traumatic episode the episode that went horribly wrong uh the canned <laughs> classics all kinds of stuff on there, and that catalog just keeps growing month to month. It's well worth your money. I, I, I sure hope so. I'd like to think so. Anything else, gentlemen? Again, check us out on evergreenpodcast.com. Yes, sir. Please do that. And I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. So until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I am Jack Doherty. And I'm Randy Hardenbrook. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and be excellent to each other. This has been a Canned Air production. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe. 
and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.